Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sufism has become famous in the Western world primarily through its aesthetic expressions like music and especially poetry. The Sufi poet Jalaladin Rumi is immensely famous in the Western world and was for a while the best-selling poet in all of North America. Other Persian poets have also been referenced numerous times like uh, Saadi and Attar and Hafiz, but they're Arabic equivalents, the Sufi poets writing in Arabic, have not received the same love, even though they are arguably just as significant and important as their Persian equivalents. These Arabic poets include people like Ibn al-Farid, Ibn Arabi, and one of my personal favorites, the Andalusian, ecstatic, and controversial al-Shushtari. Abu al-Hassan al-Shushtari isn't the most well-known Sufi or poet, neither in the Arabic-speaking world nor in academia. Very little has been written about him in English, and yet he has been referred to as the Rumi of the West, and his poems are sung across North Africa to this day. He was born in 1212 CE in Andalusia, what is modern Spain, in a place that's pretty close to Granada. 
Thus he, too, is a product of this insanely vibrant intellectual and mystical time period in history. As we've talked about in other videos, the same period brought us Ibn Rushd, Ibn Arabi, Abu Madian, Rumi, Ibn al-Farid, and many other of the founders of the great Sufi orders. And this is just in the Muslim world. The Christians had Thomas of Aquinas, Meister Eckhart, Francis of Assisi, and the Jewish world had people like Maimonides and Abraham Abu Lafia, just to mention a few. Al-Shushtari is no exception to this rule, and he would probably be a lot more famous today if he hadn't had to compete with so many other great figures at the time. Al-Shushtari seems to have been from a very well-off family, but later in his life choose a life of poverty on the Sufi path. The writer Ibn al-Khatib writes, quote, He came from a line of emirs, and he joined the ranks of the poor. Some evidence points to the fact that he may have joined the tariqa of the famous North African Sufi Abu Madian, and that he also studied the school of Surawardi. He had left Spain for North Africa at a young age as he joined the Sufis and as the Almohad dynasty was crumbling into political chaos in the region, and he would thus lead a life of travel, going to places like Tunis, Qabis, Damietta, and of course on pilgrimages to Mecca. But the most significant encounter and shift in his life trajectory came when he met and became a devoted student of another famous Andalusian Sufi by the name of Ibn Sabain. Ibn Sabain was in fact a lot younger than al-Shushtari, but he made such an impact on the Sufi poet that he became a devoted student of him for the rest of his life. It is reported that when Ibn Sabain and al-Shushtari met, Ibn Sabain is thought to have said to him, if it is paradise that you desire, then go with Sheikh Abu Madian, but if it is the master of paradise you desire, then let's begin. Which, again, is probably one of the most fantastic things anyone has ever said to somebody in world history. Al-Shushtari's connection to Ibn Sabain, both um, in terms of his relationship but also doctrinally, would be one of the reasons that Al-Shushtari has a reputation of being a somewhat controversial figure. In, for example, Ibn Taymiyyah's very famous refutation of the Sufis that he considered to be heretics or unbelievers, and where he very famously attacks the school of Ibn Arabi, he also talks about Ibn Sabain and his students, like Al-Shushtari, as the worst of the worst, as being even worse than Ibn Arabi. Ibn Khaldun, in his famous Muqaddimah, makes a similar division where the school of Ibn Arabi, while being suspect and dangerous, is at least not as extreme as the school of Ibn Sabain. So this shows you the kind of status that he had to some scholars. This is mostly due to a characteristic philosophy that they ascribe to, which is sometimes known as Wadat al-Mutlaqa, or absolute unity. In many ways, it is very similar to Ibn Arabi's Wadat al-Wujud, the unity of being, and has some of the same basic ideas. Reality is ultimately one, and there is nothing in existence but God. However, Ibn Sabain and his followers were a bit more radical in their expression of this idea and the conclusions that they drew from it. Whereas Ibn Arabi viewed the world as relatively real, being the reflections and manifestations of God's attributes, and always maintained a kind of difference between the two in a sense, the creation and creator, Ibn Sabain and his school saw the world as a complete illusion. There is only God, Allahu Faqat, as Ibn Sabain would exclaim. Quote, I was first led to say I have never seen a thing without seeing God behind it, then to say, which is closer to the truth, I have never seen a thing without seeing God with it, then finally to say I have never seen a thing without seeing God before it, now I can only say he, he, he. Al-Shushtari would stay devoted to Ibn Sabain for the rest of his life, and even for a while was the leader of the Sabiniya, that is, Ibn Sabain's school, in Egypt. 
Um, El Shushtari also had his own school, which is known as the Shushtaria. We're not exactly sure if this was the same as the Sabini or if it was a separate school or what was going on here, but clearly uh, he was a kind of religious or Sufi leader for both of these uh, Sufi tariqas. In any case then, aside from his relationship and connection to Ibn Sabain, Al Shushtari is very famous in his own right as a very prominent poet and a Sufi master. What is so special about al-Shushtari in particular is the innovations he made to Arabic poetry and the audience that he primarily focused on. Being highly educated in al-Andalus, al-Shushtari had a mastery of the classical forms of Arabic poetry. This includes genres like the Qasida, or the Ode, the monorhymic Ode, as well as the Quatrain and many others. And he wrote many poems in these classical genres, but it isn't these poems that he's primarily famous for. Instead, what is very significant about al-Shushtari is that he was one of the first to adopt local Andalusian dialects and poetic forms into his Sufi poetry. So for those of you who don't know, Arabic is often divided into classical Arabic, also known as al-Fusha, and dialectical Arabic. In the Arab world, which is obviously very large, the language itself is spoken in a huge amount of different local dialects and variants, to the degree that a person from Iraq often has a hard time understanding someone in Morocco. And this has been the case historically too. Classical Arabic, or Fusha, serves as a kind of official standard Arabic based on the Quran and used in many official contexts. Many Arabic speakers learn Fusha in school and have varying degrees of understanding of it, but no one really uses it as an everyday language. The Sufi poetry of the Middle Ages and before were written almost exclusively in classical Arabic, that is Fusha, as it was seen as the proper way to express religious sentiment. Other languages, like Persian, had become more accepted as a secondary language for poetry, whereas Arabic was, according to many, supposed to be kept in its sort of pure, sophisticated classical form when it came to poetry. Most of the famous poets like Ibn al-Farid and Ibn Arabi all wrote their poetry in classical Arabic. But by the Middle Ages, this norm was starting to be challenged by some. In Al-Andalus, there had started to appear new forms of poetry that broke with the classical metric forms. A new genre called Muwashah had appeared in the region and became very, very popular. It had a much more complex strophic form, in terms of metric, uh, which differed from the classical monorhyme, or Qasayda, for example. However, the Muwashah was for the most part still written in the classical Arabic, the Fusha uh, language. But this cannot be said for another of the local uh, poetic forms at the time, which was known as the Zajal. And the Zajal is a kind of uh, popular song that was almost always written in the dialectical local language. Al-Shushtari was the first, or at least certainly one of the first, to implement the Muwashah and Sajjal forms of poetry into his Sufi verse. There is a huge level of experimentation and, and playfulness in his poems. For example, he would sometimes write a Muwashah poem, where the, most of the poem was written in the classical Arabic, but then suddenly the refrain was in the dialectical language. There's a huge level of playfulness in his poems that are incredibly fascinating especially in his religious songs, the sajals, the language and imagery is often very simple and playful and yet very profound. But there are reasons for all of this, and not all of which are simply linguistic. Al-Shushtari throughout his life remained dedicated to an extreme form of asceticism as an essential part of his Sufi practice. To him, this was actually the only way to properly fight and conquer your nafs, or your ego. 
Quote, I clothe my body in cords and needles, bits of discarded wool, I beg a bit of bread. The concept called tajrid, which means to strip away, is a recurring theme in his writings. This means to strip away all superficial attachments and identities to the world in order to reach intimacy with God. Quote, There is no one in richness like you, and in poverty there are none like us. We see you manifest in everything. Nothing is ours. Shushtari's extreme asceticism was rather unusual for the Sufis at the time, as many of them would still hold to the ideal of living in society and starting a family and these things, while at the same time being cut off or uh, say, uh, detached from, from worldly affairs. Shushtari, however, would remain traveling around as a poor man, a faqir, for the rest of his life. He often, in fact, had a very hostile attitude to any kind of people in power, including kings or sultans or the, the ulama or jurists who would bow to these leaders. In fact, in one of his poems, he writes, quote, Whoever bows before a vizier or sultan, he is the arrogant one. Yes, he is confused. His garments suit him, for he is imprinted with covetousness. As an extension of this, he was also significantly dedicated to the poor and the lower classes of society, and obviously also voluntarily belonged to this class. To Shushtari, the poor people were in a superior state to those who weren't, even if that poverty was voluntary or not. Quote, The poor man, or faqir, is outstanding whether he renounced the world by choice or by necessity. This huge dedication to the lower classes of society is very important for understanding his Sufi poetry, why he wrote it in the vernacular language, and, in general, his practice as a Sufi. It is said that Shushtari would frequently, either on instruction by his master Ibn Sabain or not, wander around the local souks or marketplaces, what the scholar Lourdes Maria Alvarez calls the medieval equivalent of the red light district. He would go to these marketplaces dressed in rags and sing his mystical songs, perhaps accompanied by companions and musical instruments. By many, this would be seen as scandalous, as these environments were associated with things like taverns, prostitutes, and the, quote, illiterate masses of men. Clearly then, this was both a kind of spiritual practice for al-Shushtari, but also a very clear message against the jurists, the sultans, the conformist Sufis, as he would have seen them, and generally the sort of educated elites, all of whom often looked down upon this world of the marketplace as being dirty and, and, and immoral. Shushtari instead despised their hypocrisy, greediness, and the abandonment of poverty by many other Sufis. And this statement can be said to characterize Shushtari that his entire life and message, in a way. Both in actions like this one and in his very poetry, he always takes the side of the poor, of the uneducated, and just the everyday person, and is highly critical of the rule-obsessed hypocritical uh, jurist or fuqaha, the greedy sultans, and the elite ulama, or religious scholars. It thus becomes very clear why he was so adamant to compose his religious songs and poetry in a dialectical language. His audience was the people of the marketplace. His audience was the poor. His audience were those who didn't have the education of classical Arabic poetry or the abstract metaphysical language and metaphors that are often used therein. Instead, he composed light-hearted songs with a strong focus on emotions, but that still carried the very mystical language or mystical religious message that he thought was the true expression of the Islamic faith. Quote, 
Shushtari's mysticism was, of course, a celebration of the divine, but it was no less a multiform dissent, a protest against the hypocrisy and spiritual emptiness of the Islam practiced and promoted by the fuqaha and the ulama in the service of temporal rulers, and against those who appointed themselves judges of the piety of others. Poetry and song, thus, were far more than a means of personal mystical expression. They were a tool for recruiting Sufi adepts to a movement whose call for ecstatic religious renewal deeply threatened the power of the jurists and the imams. Indeed, the jurists at the time, and many since them, have been very critical and skeptical of al-Shushtari, as they believed that he was undermining their power and becoming very popular in himself, which is of course very true. And as we've seen, this is exactly what al-Shushtari wanted. He was very important for spreading the Sufi message to a larger audience by attracting them with light-hearted songs and very beautiful melodies. But the jurists and later critics were not just skeptical because of his undermining their authority and being a threat to their authority, they were also highly critical of his philosophical and metaphysical ideas that he expressed in his poetry. His connection with the Sufi philosopher Ibn Saba'in and his doctrine of Wadat uh, al-Mutlaq, or absolute unity, is the source of most criticism by, by scholars against al-Shushtari. And it wasn't so much always the philosophy or ideas themselves that were the problem, but the very fact that he was spreading these very complex ideas to a m larger mass uh, in terms of audience, who didn't have any education in theology or philosophy, and thus there could be a lot of misunderstandings, they thought. In this way, many saw him as actually even more dangerous than his master Ibn Saba'in, as at least Ibn Saba'in would speak in his text in a very philosophical language that spoke to the educated elite, whereas al-Shushtari would, according to them, mislead the audience with, with his heretical ideas. Shushtari expresses the ideas associated with Wadat al-Mutlaqa in many of his poems and songs. It is characterized by a view where God is the only reality, which can be experienced everywhere at all times. In his poems, he often breaks the barrier between creator and creation, between the one and the many, where God is and where he isn't. God is all there is, all else is illusion and vanity. Quote, what is your beloved's name? I said, him. There is no confusing the name of the beloved, just understand me, just understand me. My beloved encompasses all existence. He is visible in the white and the black, and in Christian and Jew, and in the letters and their points. Just understand me, just understand me. In the plants and in the minerals, in black and in white, in the pen and the ink. His poems are frequently concerned with witnessing God everywhere at all times and with the process of stripping bare one's ego or lower self, the nafs, until any semblance of the separate self is completely annihilated and there is only the reality of God remaining. This process or this experience of annihilation is known in Sufi terms as fana, which means literally extinction or annihilation. And Shushtari, much like other Sufi poets, uses a lot of metaphors, common metaphors in Arabic poetry to express this idea of it being annihilated in God. He uses themes that is common in secular poetry and gives them a new religious or spiritual meaning. For example, one of the most famous and widely used metaphors for this experience of being annihilated is the metaphor of wine and in being intoxicated, as in the following poem. Quote, I drink wine from the goblet, and from myself I come closer to myself. In myself it is myself I love. 
Notice how he plays with the pronoun for I to completely collapse the distinction between the seeker and the sought as a full expression of a divine unity. A similar creative tendency can be found in this poem. Quote, it is you who seek and you who listen. Just when do you think what is absent will appear? God is the one with no other. There is nothing like me. I am one. And the very notion of place in truth is trouble. When you let go of awareness, you will find us. Again, here he is very playfully using different pronouns to express the ineffable experience of unitive consciousness where one realizes the oneness of being. In this state, you, I, and even us are all used seemingly to designate the same reality. At other times, he is more explicit in his language, quote, For he is my essence, my true soul. I seek in myself what I already have. I am everything, the center of totality. Accept this. Or, quote, creation is your creation, and all affairs are your affairs. For what am I? Not even ruins. I speak the truth. There is nothing in the universe that is not you. I seek refuge in God from my knowledge and acts. You show yourself to yourself in yourself. Continuity which bespeaks the enigma of eternity. In these popular songs, these unitive experiences are not expressed through very abstract metaphysical ideas or expression, but rather through a very simple language. But despite this simplicity, as you can see, it is still very striking and beautiful. The implications of these monistic tendencies and their larger spread to the uneducated masses very much scared the jurists and the ulama, which al-Shurstari probably would have been very happy about. They not only criticized his ideas, but also a lot of the Sufi practices that Shushtari would take part in. This included wearing patched, cheap clothing as a sign of poverty, the practice of gazing upon beautiful faces as a form of spiritual ritual, and generally questioning the Sufis' conformity with the Sunnah, the practice of the Prophet Muhammad. In one of his few works of prose, which is called the Baghdad Treatise, he responds to many of these attacks by the Fuqaha and in turn attacks them. He views, for example, the practice of gazing upon beautiful faces as a spiritual practice as completely justified and even extends this notion. In a very beautiful section, he explains how praising God is not simply done through the mouth, through words, but through all of the senses in the body. Gazing upon the countenance is to gaze upon the countenance or head or hair of a poor man or rich man, or in general upon animals, plants, and matter. Listening, sama, is veneration. Speech is veneration, as long as what is said is good. Sensory experience is veneration, all five senses. If one recognizes that God encompasses all of existence, then every sensory experience can be a form of praise or worship. Furthermore, he argues, using the hadiths and other sources, that other practices of the Sufis are perfectly in line with the Sunnah, but also extends a general critique against the jurist and their understanding of the Sunnah itself. In all of his poetry and in his prose works like this, he often contrasts the fuqaha, the jurists, with the fuqara, the poor men or Sufis, holding the view that the fuqara are the actual or true fuqaha. To al-Shushtari, the fuqaha follow a very shallow, dead version of Islam, one that is obsessed with rules and where the jurists or scholars often take on the role as judges of other people's piety and behavior. He not only sees this as hypocritical, but foolish and ignorant. In the Baghdad treaties, he very clearly points out, quote, For every member of the community claims that he is correctly practicing sunnah and that others are duped by innovation. And that, quote, in general, the sunnah is very obscure, whether you admit it or not. 
Thus, Shushtari can be said to represent a relative doctrinal openness, where the law or the sunnah is never neglected, but where he puts a larger emphasis on direct experience of the divine and the spread of these ideas to a larger audience, and thus with a less focus on formalities and the particular rulings of certain jurists. Al-Shushtari is thus certainly a champion of the general population, a Sufi poet of the people whose ecstatic expressions of the oneness of reality reaches us to this day with its haunting beauty and distinct social messages. He used songs and music in Sufi context often called Sama, not just as a personal or internal Sufi practice, but as a way to extend its reach to as many people as possible. Quote, when I went towards my object and listened to the music, my misery became glory and my poverty riches. This and his use of local forms of song and poetry in the Sajal and Muwashah forms, and of course his use of the dialectical or vernacular language of the region, was a kind of revolution in Sufi poetry at the time, one that would have a lasting impact on Sufism in the region and abroad as well. The popularity of these forms of song and poetry in Sufi Sama sessions in North Africa to this day can to a very significant degree be attributed to al-Shushtari's influence. Al-Shushtari died rather young, at around the same time as his master, around the year 1269. He certainly isn't a figure that is too well known in the larger world, but has become somewhat of a local hero in his home region in North Africa in countries like Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. His songs and poems are still sung today at Sufi gatherings, they're played on the radio and recorded as music albums. Clearly then, Shushtari's mission of spreading his message through popular forms is very much still working today. And I think this ideal is very finely expressed in one of his poems. Quote, Appearances are a delusion, rise to the fore. The signs are in you, to come near the king, diminish yourself. My sweetest moments are when I am one with my essence. Apply your intellect to what is rational. The proof leads you to the proven. You will see the bearer is what is born. To say this is a mistake would be a mistake. Music allows me to speak to the people. My sweetest moments are when I am one with my essence. I'll see you next time. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.